Hello, Jack. Oh, I was just about to ask you to begin it. Well oh. done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, hello, the listener. Welcome to another episode, another. episode 35. It is I mean, we never do this. We never have an intro. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to episode 35. Jack um, is just realizing the, that he said his podcast you're listening to. <laughs> That's not the first time somebody's made that joke. It's yeah. a podcast. Yeah. Hey, zing. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, was, I wrote down 35 in my notes, and I was like, 35. Seems like a, a number. You know, 34, uh-huh. I was like, I don't know, 35? Yeah. Look at yeah. that. No, it's halfway to 40. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. 35, 35, folks, halfway to 40. We're doing math <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a good point. No, it's not halfway to 40, is it? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's part of the way. But given that, we're, given that we're registering the time passing in these podcasts in, in groups of 10. Yes, very yeah. true. The last milestone was 30. And yeah, now we're geez. halfway to the next milestone, which is 40. My God. Unless you want to make 35 like a subcategory milestone, which I'm totally <laughs> down for doing, really. Yeah, so I think subcategory like... milestone. Yeah, 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 We've yeah. been doing this for 35 weeks. Uh-huh. My God. Not much has changed. I'll say that right now. Um, well, here we are, Dan. Um, you know what I meant to ask you about last week? Mm. Well, I meant to bring it up last week is that King Gizzard uh, put an album out last Friday. And I always feel like we should... Uh, I don't know, just in, just in just passing, Im- talking, just to, <laughs> just to notice that they put something out because they gave us permission to use their song. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. No. Well, wink, you, wink. you asked for permission. I did ask for permission yeah. several so times. That, that's, and, and not receiving a negative reply is tantamount <laughs> yeah, exactly. to consent. They did read it on, on Twitter. So okay. I think that's okay. a yes. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, new album, Butterfly 3000. Yeah. What'd you think? I started listening to it twice and yeah. I got further in the second time. It's cool. I like it. <laughs> It's, it's, out, it's up my street in terms of like mm. it's just I don't know how you describe it. It's kind of like it's poppy. Isn't yeah, it? it's quite poppy. Mm. Uh, sort of like poppy lyrics, not not in terms of mm. in terms of vocal style. Not I don't know what the lyrics are necessarily. I can't really remember. Mm. Some amount of like synths and keyboards and that kind of thing. Mm. I mean, it might be all sort of guitar work that's being put for a synthesizer. Mm. I don't know. I'm not a musicologist. <laughs> um, yeah. I saw them describe it as kind of, the most. Is it, is it lo-fi? I don't know what lo-fi. I don't means. know. It's it's a little hi-fi. I, I saw okay. them describe it as their most hedonistic album yet, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm. It's just very like they're just singing about having fun. Like, oh, good for you oh guys. I see. Okay, it's nice. Time. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. I mean, maybe yeah. it's meant to be well. It's me- meant to be like um, really concise social critique of like <laughs> the decadence of our society. Who knows? <laughs> Who? Yeah, I don't know. It's good, folks. Go listen to it. It's funny. I've only really, really vibed with like three of the songs. Usually, I'm just like every single song on uh-huh. this album is so good, and they're all good. But three of them are great. I'll say that. So yeah, folks, go listen to it. That's your plug for this week. Ad. Um, and uh, yeah what else I, sh- I feel like I should also I've been meaning to do this broad bean update perhaps for the last time just because I ate some of my broad beans finally they're very good very very good mm-hmm. I've been kind of boiling the beans for like 30 seconds or so taking them out mixing them with a little bit of garlic mm-hmm. a little bit of pepper some olive oil it's putting it on toast uh-huh. delicious uh-huh. smell like garlic for the so rest now of the we day, have an right? answer to the, like a question we asked ourselves <laughs> yeah. back in like, or you asked yourself back in like episode four or something which is <laughs> i don't even know whether i like broad beans. <laughs> yeah what am i supposed to do with the broad so beans? now we know jack from the past <laughs> yeah. i don't jack know if... from the future or something yeah this was know. ostensibly to answer questions we had about socialism 
<laughs> we haven't answered any of those questions yet, just about broad mm-hmm. beans. So, yeah. Yeah, I also have some broad beans, so yeah. I should, should, should eat some of them. Dan's garden looking very good, yeah. I'll say. Mm. I've been very, um, I have been very jealous of Jack's broad beans because the, <laughs> his plants are very, very tall, and I've just been chalking it up to better sunlight <laughs> and uh, less wind and, I don't know, better soil mm. or something. Mm. And then it was pointed out to me that my broad beans are dwarf broad beans, so that's why they're <laughs> half the size of Jack's ones. <laughs> I think I so, might have gotten dry. So I don't have to beans. feel some kind of like gardening inferiority. <laughs> it's fine. Mine are a little unruly. They're into that point where it's mm. like, all right, mm. relax, fellas. Relax, fellas, or you're going in the compost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody tell them they're going in the compost anyway. <laughs> I made a conscious effort to bring the shells, like the pods of the broad beans, back to the allotment to put in the compost as uh-huh. a very like it's the, it's metabolic. The to, the metabolic, metabolic exactly. to reduce the metabolic rift between yeah, <laughs> the food exactly. you eat and what you can restore back into the soil. <laughs> so I'm at least doing that. That's good. I don't know if I bought this up on an episode or not, but a while ago I was walking through a local graveyard and I saw that, like, presumably the groundskeeper, whoever had, like, collected all of the um, uh, flowers that were kind of rotting or whatever and had put them all, like, to be thrown away or whatever. Um, and so I took a bag of those and put them in the allotment. I thought there was something kind of poetic about that, but I think I just kind of, like, stole flowers from a graveyard. Uh-huh. But they were going to be thrown away. So anyway, Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I always, yeah, I always, whenever I'm walking past the, through the cemetery and I see mm-hmm. like one of the bins just full of bouquets of flowers, yeah, I sort of like, I don't know, it, 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 it I don't know, it makes me feel uncomfortable, you know. Yeah, I, know, I mean, yeah. having the flowers rotting on the grave is is probably also not what you want, but like, yeah, I don't know. There's a custom out here that uh, we don't do back home, which is you'll see cans of beer on graves and i was informed that that's because people will come by and like quote unquote like have a beer with somebody on the grave like you see a can of fosters or something Uh and that's cool Uh but what i think is cooler is that presumably the groundskeeper like lets it sit there for a week or two it's like your parents eating the mince pie for father christmas Christmas. yeah whatever that means (laughs) (laughs) it's just a little treat Hmm. you mean you don't leave things out for santa claus Yes, we okay. leave things out for scent. What do we leave? Cookies. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Still haven't figured out what mince pies are. I thought there was meat in them for a long time. So whenever anyone would ask me if I wanted one, I'd be like, no. Mm-hmm. But it's just spice. I really like mince pie. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah, it's, it's, sort of, it's like, what is it? Yeah, it's fruit mostly. <laughs> Spiced fruit. Spiced fruit. Yeah. All right. I think it used it, it, yeah, for a long time, people. Yeah, I don't know whether they ever had like meat meat in them, but they used to have like, <laughs> well, they used to have like a, maybe they used to have a fat. From oh some kind of yeah, like suet, it. It or, suet in it. Ordinarily, Ugh. they used to have suet in it. Mm. Um, mm. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a non-vegetarian mince pie. Gotcha, gotcha. Finding vegan mince pies is often quite difficult. Oh, well, I guess just like butter in the pastry. Yeah, I mean the cheap ones just have milk mm. in it because like everything, every cheap food <laughs> stuff is just bulked out with some amount of milk. And uh, yeah, posh ones are like butter mince pies. So. Mm. Did mm. find some nice mince pies in the co-op. Really? Yeah, mm. last. It was actually last September. Okay. <laughs> mid, the, on, the only shop bought mince pies I had in the entirety of last year were mid last September. Uh, uh, but they were nice. I always wonder how much of a co-op co-op is. I suppose it is. I mean, I used to work for a co-op and I'll tell you, it's exactly the same. As I don't know whether it's a co-op in terms of the employees or mm. have sort of shares traditionally or what you would think of as a role in a co-op like whatever that is like <laughs> yeah i don't know um or whether it's like a a uh, consumer co-op kind of thing they mm. definitely sell a membership and you can be a member of like a consuming member of that co-op kind of thing mm. yeah i don't know i don't know yeah i don't really understand co-ops 
Oh, of course, in general, concept. are we talking about the, the British chain shop, the co-op in uh, Co-ops in general. Oh, okay. I don't really understand them. Uh-huh. I mean, I complained that it was just like working for a normal company. It's but capitalism, I mean, folks. <laughs> so there you go. But I mean, I also was like bottom of the food chain. Why would I have shares? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm just, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, I mean, like guy. I would, I suppose it's it would be hard. You'd have to put a deliberate effort into not developing a split workforce where you have... Mm shareholders and non-shareholders um mm. i mean my, ba- my i don't know my basic mm. understanding or a critique of co-ops is that if you're a cooperative operating under a capitalist system you still have to adhere to yeah. production yeah. based up you you there is still in in your in that mode of production in the capitalist mode of production there is still competition on the grounds of socially necessary labor time you still you basically you end up exploiting yourself right wage because labor because you have to like yeah exactly yeah and it's yeah and it's still wage labor mm. Mm. see I ref said two weeks ago for a critique of wage labor <laughs> yeah yeah oh wait a minute maybe we'll do something whoa <laughs> wait a minute should that be our transition yeah why not Dan what are we reading this week <laughs> we're back. This week, we've read the middle third of <laughs> The Fundamental Principles of Communist Production and Distribution. Again, rolls back right up by, the back, Yeah, we're getting quite good at that. <laughs> back by very popular demand. Yes, actually, kind of. Hmm. Um, Thank you to everybody who listened to that episode. Yeah, and thanks for everybody. everybody. Thank you for everybody. Thank, Thank you, you everybody. everybody. Thank you to the people who've been commenting on YouTube, because if you don't know, we put all our episodes up on there. And it's cool because that's like you don't comment on a podcast, you know what I mean? So it's cool to get some like, oh, people are actually listening. That's very cool. Mm, It's funny how the various platforms have their various different, uh, I was about to say etiquette. What's the right? Like, yeah, I suppose like conventions. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know. I say it's strange (laughs) and then I stop talking. So I clearly don't have anything to to say to elaborate the strangeness. You, You know what I saw? today is that some podcast inked a deal with spotify to be like i guess the deal is you only put podcast on spotify and it was like measured in the tens of millions of dollars mm. it's like isn't that what joe rogan did i think so yeah i yeah. just had no idea it was that much money yeah it's like what is being created here <laughs> like oh i see yeah, 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 yeah i mean it's insane right like when i when i was working for like a very tiny record label it was just like cool we literally get no- it's like I would do the taxes and it would come back, you know, money from Spotify measured in like mm. one to two dollars. Is Spotify one of these platform companies that doesn't actually make any money? Presumably. Yeah. It's a tech company. Yeah. They're not making any money. <laughs> no, they don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> where does that money come from? We got to do an episode figuring out where money like that comes from. Yeah. It's just like, sure, 60 million. Yeah. Give it to them. Why well, not? What's, that, what's, that, what's the SoftBank, isn't it? It's a, it's a Saudi based investment company. They just like. Invest money in startups. Oh, yeah. cool. Huh. No, Jack, it's not cool. <laughs> What's our model? <laughs> we have any sound Yeah, how listeners? do we get some SoftBank money? <laughs> SoftBank yeah. I mean, money. we have to make ourselves a platform first. <laughs> Presumably, we have to have, like, Wi-Fi connectivity. Or <laughs> I mean, I've had I've, I've, my first dose now, but presumably you don't get, like, improved Wi-Fi signal until <laughs> you have your second dose. Oh, I'm getting my dose this week, too. Hey. So I'll, I'll have a good hey. Wi-Fi connectivity. But you know what? Just in time to have the, the lockdown, the pseudo-state yeah. of lockdown that we're in in this country extended for another yeah. four weeks. Yeah, exactly. I, um, uh, I, you told me something, or you reminded me of something very funny the other day while we're on the subject of tech companies which is there's like nearby oh i don't know whether to talk about that all right i'll cut that out <laughs> where were we where were we just talking about uh 
Yeah, tech sucks. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can leave it in. Yeah. Well, tech we'll sucks. see. Well, yeah. tech does suck. We'll leave that in definitely. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Let's go back to talking about the book. I guess. Smooth transition. <laughs> yeah, smooth transition. We did have a smooth transition, but then we lost it. So okay, it's right. it's, folks. It's totally like on brand. <laughs> yeah, that's our brand. SoftBank. Um, we read chapters five to through 11 yeah, uh, yeah. yes we read chapters 5 through 11 um good for us we're on our way to finishing what will amount to third book that we've read for the show ella mixon's wood uh Miliband, this and uh cybernetic revolutionaries and cybernetic revolutionaries even medina yeah that's right all right so yeah we're getting there hmm. yeah, yeah yeah about a book every 10 maybe um <laughs> I think that was what we that was that was a, a target that you set that was for a us, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> it's a target. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a target. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't know who's target. I mean, we we. I mean, I'm I, I I'm not going to accept any targets for this podcast that are not objectively pitiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not going to go beyond that. <laughs> yeah. Like we're on a scale. Well, otherwise we don't we're get like on the scale of like <laughs> yeah. of like. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Professional podcasters. Yeah. 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 Um. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back in it. Uh, totally amateur podcasters. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing we can guarantee is being amateur at the act of podcasting. Um, chapter five. Uh-huh. Let's talk about that maybe first. Yeah, I, um, I feel like last week, we two weeks ago, we decided that this book was good. <laughs> Do we still concur with the idea that this book is pretty good? I am. Uh, yeah, I'm still all over this book. It, mm. it, it still rocks so much. Um, and again, you keep you keep getting the like meme left come image in your head stereotype blown out of the water because they come across dan as very reasonable uh-huh. and as we'll see here in chapter five titled the libertarian communism um they throw shade to the left definitely yeah. too and you realize that they're not as far left as you think <laughs> and maybe that other people are further right or maybe they're just not as further left as you thought uh-huh. but it's all good yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's not a difference between right and left. It's a difference between right and wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And what do they say in the end of the first paragraph in that section? Everybody else's ideas on communism is a desert of mediocrity. It's an infertile wasteland of uniformity. <laughs> it's brutal. Um, oh, uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. uniformity is also incredibly mediocre. Spoilers. It is. And it's also, it almost just seems lazy because they basically make the point that, like, obviously we, we spoke about in the, the last episode we did on this about um, their critiques of Bolsheviks, social democrats, all of that. Um, it's just kind of like, guys, you need a unit of account. And I mean, that that basically just comes back again here um, as saying to what, you know, libertarian communism, I think they define as like syndicalism, anarchism, um, et cetera. Um, it's, it's almost the same critique because it's just like, yeah, okay, good ideas, guys, but like, Let's think about it. How is this actually going to work? And the question that they pose is, um, I got it written down here. Basically, what are the conditions where workers actually control production themselves? Because so much of this, even the like anarchist stuff, just comes back as being like, someone will assign you what you should have. Or they'll figure it out. Someone, it's top down, basically, to throw back to Palmatic. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I, I got the impression that the critique... A portion of the critique, anyway, is this that like the libertarian communists, the anarchists, seem to be falling back on an idea of like almost human nature. You know, like yeah. the better angels of people's nature will emerge mm. while once they're sort of liberated to operate a free economy, kind of thing. Um, 
but also as you say like they there is expect this expectation that there will be in in the examples of actual work tax systems that they present as being uh, libertarian communist in nature or in structure there is still always some amount of central authority kind of thing yeah. there is still a planning body of some sort or other mm. and as you say it's the same critique as we saw last week there is no proposed unit of account that would um guide i suppose this activity well it's not even it's not even that the unit of account guides the activity of planning like the unit of account as we might come on to like allows for planning to happen without sort of central diktat, I suppose. Yeah, because there's always something being centrally dictated, whether it's like your wage or like what you can do with, you know, the value that you create, how much of that you get to keep, or um, prices or just like actual distribution of things. And so the plan that they kind of put forward is like, okay, well, if you have this unit of account, that basically makes it possible for all of that like quote-unquote state that would be required for like a transition period in communism towards higher communism it's that unit of account is itself the thing that's making that state quote-unquote wither away and so it's basically like a way of just like solving the problem in like the methods that you're using to solve the problem if that makes sense there's a better way to say it but mm -hmm. i can think of it yeah i mean later on they do they did give a very good articulation of the process for the withering away of the state kind of thing mm. um but yeah, mm -hmm. certainly, hopefully we'll remember that and get onto it when we get there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the other, I guess the other aspect of the critique of the libertarian socialism is there, again, this distinction between, well, they quote from Marx the idea of um, communism or socialist society being that of the society of free and equal producers. Yeah. Um, and they suggest that the libertarian communists are coming down very heavily on the side of free, Mm -mm. at least in some of the guises and some of the libertarian communist and anarchist versions that they're discussing there is this idea that we're just going to transfer ownership of the 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 productive the workplace or the factory or whatever to the workers and make that make them free to dispose of it in whichever way they want um and I, I, we sort of tried to talk about this a little bit earlier, but it was a little bit two weeks ago. But uh, it was only earlier today that I kind of came up with a, an idea or a way of thinking about it for myself, which was to think of free and equal as being sort of like as counterposed mm. piece of terminology rather than synonyms kind of thing. Like um, their system is designed to make workers free in the sense that they have control. They they have ownership of the means of production. They have control over the dis disposal of the product but also that freedom is curtailed by generally agreed upon rules which make everybody equal to yeah. a system of production and equal to each other and equal to society kind of thing mm. um, and it's that degree of equality which they're suggesting that the libertarian socialists the libertarian anarchists the libertarian communists rather <laughs> uh, the anarchists the, the, are all assorted um uh yeah left comms yeah, left. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, yeah I was gonna collect together some insults but i'm I'll stop. uh <laughs> the all all assorted uh anarchist com comrades mm. miss out on the equality aspect and fixate on the freedom aspect yeah which is something that we also saw when we were looking at uh hal draper and his critique of 
people like Proudhon and also Bakunin to some extent. Yeah. Well, it's the, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing of wanting to live in a society but be free from it. Yeah. And it is interesting when you said that about those two things kind of being counterposed because it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like when I think of the system that uh, our council communist friends are putting forward here, it does seem extremely free. It's like, yeah, obviously they're basing that this system on the system that we're in now kind of to a certain extent, but it's like, it seems extremely free. Like you would have so much freedom to do whatever you want, but yeah. it's also like, okay, if you want to live in a society yeah yeah you gotta live in a society it is it is the the collectivity it is the community that allows for freedom Mm. um as as you say you're not free from society but yeah like the anarchists want to be part of it and free whereas the council communists here are representing well freedom comes from being part of society part of the collective Mm. um yeah operating upon generally agreed principles which you have an equal say in determining exactly and also it is the the economic the fundamentals that they're presenting are the thing which facilitate uh, the functioning of a free society, mm. which is their argument, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I mean, they say that it, the theory, such as it exists, doesn't go beyond everything. You know, everything to the workers, and it's like, okay, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, I don't yeah. know. It is, it, you were saying that this can, book can be a little wordy at times, and I didn't come across that. But then when you said that, I was like, you're right, it is, because it can be a little bit like, here's what everybody else thinks. Here's what everybody else thinks. Here's what everybody else thinks. And you're like, oh, is this what they're saying? And it's like, then they're like, no, you fools. And it's like, oh, okay. So like that chapter could have been kind of summarized as just like, there's no theory beyond everything to the workers. Yeah. And so there you go. Yeah. Should I bring the cat in? I'm not letting the cat in, no. But... Um... <laughs> They don't let me out of coming here anymore. Oh, really? At all? Um, well, we're, we're having a trial period. Ah, uh, she's been peeing. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> what were we talking about? Anyway, I don't know. I was just, I was just going to say, unless there's anything else to say on our libertarian communist friends, this book does a very good job of answering questions that you have when you have them as you're reading. It's yeah. like each question you kind of go, well, okay, this makes sense. But think about it like this. And the next chapter is like, well, if you think about it like this, here's the solution to that. And I think the biggest question that I had coming into it was like, one was about exchange, I guess, because it was just about like, okay, well, how does leather get to the shoemaker? How how does that exchange happen? Um, and the solution that they come up with is pretty interesting. And it took me a couple times to read through until I got it because you do... For a lot of this, you do really have to get through, like, past your kind of capitalist brain, if that makes sense, and th- be able to think about, well, okay, what if things work differently? Um, sure, what do you want to do with the cat? <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> What's wrong? You want to come up here? You stay there. We have a cat, folks. We got a cat with third mic. All right, we'll see how this goes. Seems all right so far. Um, but yeah, exchange. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's funny because for a lot of it, they just basically make the point of like, these things won't be an exchange. It'll just be a transfer. And yeah. when you kind of just go, all right, well, like, is that a cop out just changing the word? But then you kind of understand what they're saying. And it's like, when you take private property out of the equation, as like the revolution would have to do, um, it becomes a lot more palatable, mm-hmm. I suppose. I don't know if you had that experience. But... Yeah, we get some more. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we get some more instances of them uh, changing words 
well, cha- changing things fundamental, fundamentally, but in ways which might go unrecognized to some extent. Like yeah. they're like uh, ex- exchanges. They describe it as a f- as a function of capitalism. They is predicated on private ownership of well means of production, but private ownership also of mm. products, kind of thing. Um, you have to own something to exchange it, and they're saying that everything as it circulates in a capital in the everything as it circulates in in the communist economy doesn't actually have an owner other than yeah. society at large kind mm. of thing um so therefore there is no individual exchange at whenever when, when any product or any um piece of circulating capital moves from one uh, what do they call it um productive unit to another kind of thing yeah um there doesn't need to be any relationship between the two other than one u- one uh, unit telling the other how many hours of labor they've put into a thing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, you you know, you when you hear that and you hear like abolition of wage labor, you immediately would probably be like, well, what's the incentive? Why would anybody do this? But I mean, it, this isn't like an anarchist society where there are just no rules to it and you hope everybody figures this out. It's like, you still have to work. <laughs> like, you still have to work. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to like have the means of consumption to like go get things. I don't want to say buy, but like go. And I also don't want to say exchange. So I'll just say again, go get things. Mm-hmm. But like that incentive is still there. You still got to work. So it's yeah. like transferring these things. Yeah. You'd just be like, okay, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're taking that principle that we came across in Marx last week in the critique of the Gotha program, where like one society emerges from the other, yeah, with all of the sort of traits of the society from which it comes, kind of thing. So um, some of the operating pr- principles have to seem familiar. Mm. Like there isn't, like they do commit to the idea that we also came across reading the critique of the Gotha program last week that socialism, just like any other mode of production, I suppose, is a sort of like staged thing and the transition between one and the other has various stages. And they do think that you might get to the point where um, people aren't paid for the labor that they do with people. People don't, extra, people don't uh, remunerate their labor with an equal quantity of labor. Mm. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Uh, people people aren't paid for their labor paid for the work that they do in a quantity of labor tokens equal to the amount that they do and therefore take from the social stock of consumable products something equal to the amount that they put in kind of thing Mm. in higher stage communism that might not be the operating principle but when you start off you're going to have to use that principle as um as your I don't know, operating principle for consumption, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah. But anyway, we got a, <laughs> got a bit further away from... <laughs> where did we start with exchange? <laughs> yeah, well, it, made, it, certainly, yeah, yeah. it certainly all made me but, understand the Marx quote a lot more about, like, you can't own anything but your... You can't give anything but your labor power. And you can't own anything other than the means of consumption. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I don't think I really understood that prior to really reading this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're make... They're... They're um, both advancing a critique of capitalism, but also giving some principles for what the transition to communism would entail. And one of those principles is the abolition of exchange. Mm. 
mm. by virtue by by virtue of the fact that you've abolished private property you have therefore abolished exchange and by virtue of the fact that you've abolished exchange you will also abolish value in a capitalist sense because as we were talking about a few weeks ago like uh, and <laughs> i suppose from um, <laughs> We've really got to stop claiming to have, like, <laughs> boasting of how much of, little of capital we've read. <laughs> uh, but also for reading capital. <laughs> uh, um, uh, value is something that's a, that em, is emergent from a process of exchange kind of thing. Like, it's only through cha- exchanging goods on a market that the amount of labor I- embedded in a product and therefore its value uh, emerges and becomes known, but only in this... Uh, veiled sense and not directly um so you do also in this new communist society have something very analogous to uh value but because it's as Mm. we were saying a few weeks ago but because it's no longer veiled and because it's directly known and because that knowledge becomes uh the conscious uh operating and directing and fundamental principle of the communist economy (laughs) um it ceases to function in the same way. It's yeah, it's demystified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they do get a, di- give it a different name, just as they give exchange a different name. They give value a different name. Yeah. Um, and then with relative varying degrees of consistency, stick to those pieces of terminology. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think they just call it products of labor or something. Or val- that, that, I don't know anyway. Yeah. yeah. They call what would be a commodity a product. What would be exchange transfer? They're all obviously very different but they're all also like analogous. Like I said last time, it's like bizarro capitalism because you see these kind of mirror forms, but then you also like don't (laughs) (laughs) because everything is just better. Um, Yeah, we were talking a bit before this about there is a definite like um, Berean vibe to a lot of this when they talk about, well, maybe I should back up a bit. And the authors bring up Kautsky again, just to kind of dump on him because supposedly Kautsky at one point was like, okay, it would be great to do everything like this. But it's just not possible to calculate uh, these working hours and everything like that at a higher level. It would just be way too much information, folks. There's no way we could do it. Um, Then their answer to that is, no, you would just leave that calculation up to these individual units, which would be firms, enterprises, or whatever, and let them do it. And then they'll report it to, like, this bookkeeping agency or whatever. um, And that gets calculated for other things later on. But basically... The answer to Kautsky is just no. You just leave it up to the individual firms. And there's a lot of talk in the exchange bits about like the difference between these individual productive units, because we're right now just talking about the productive sphere, and the social total of labor basically as a whole. And I, yeah, I found that really, really interesting because it was very much like you don't really see – we haven't seen so far talk of like the democracy that would make planning work. But they kind of say like out of this, you kind of have an emergent – planning in your economy with like an abolition of exchange and an abolition of private ownership um so i just thought it was very interesting kind of comparing that to what we talked about when we talked about stafford beer's ideas of the viable system model which i think we've all been calling the viable systems model but just as like you know leaving it's best to leave these productive units to just calculate their costs by themselves tell them to report it they'll report it that's all great but it's also like Again, you see this kind of like uh, recursive state in these firm, not recursive, but like fractal state. I don't know. Where like when you zoom in on this individual firm, you also see these same operating principles inside of the firm as like some sort of democratic organization and stuff. And I just thought that like 
comparison of the whole to the individual unit, really, really fascinating. And especially when they just used it to be like, Kautsky, you fool. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I mean, I don't know. I would say that that's just a matter of like Kautsky's time, but also like these people weren't too far off writing this. So, yeah, there is definitely... um something cybernetic Mm. in the principle that well i mean their overall principle that they're trying to get across is i mean the book is the fundamental principles of communist production and distribution right (laughs) they're trying to lay down the economic fundamentals for a communist society yeah and one of the things that they're really harping on quite a lot (laughs) is how like um the regulatory features of this society this society or mode of production or the the planning apparatuses or what have you are kind of almost organic or internal to the operating of the system. Yeah. Like you cannot have this system uh, without having these particular features that they're um, describing. Like it just would not be communism kind of thing. Mm. That's often their critique is like of a lot of these things. It's just, this is not <laughs> communism kind of thing. This is, oh, I meant that was well, steak after this yeah. is steak after this. Um, so it's very cybernetic and very Berean in the sense that, like, I guess the the correctives and the 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 self regulating aspect is written into the fundamental rules, the fundamental principles, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and as you, as we were saying before, like, um, the 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 feature of um, the thinking of other forms of um, other theories about what communism would be, the ones that we talked about last week, where uh, there is no unit of account and everything is exchanging kind kind of thing, um, sort of severs a really important link between um, the power that's gained by workers through their ostensible ownership of the means of production and a huge lack of power that they have by not having the right to dispose of the products is the phrase that they use, right? Like they're they're accusing the state capitalists of uh, not having reconciled this uh, fundamental tension to to capitalism, I suppose. Like there is one point in this where they... they, um, uh, recapitulate i suppose or reintroduce this idea of capitalism has a, having socialized production but it hasn't socialized control of the means of production and by virtue control of the products of production kind of thing and it's the same uh, contradiction that is maintained in state capitalism or yeah it's the same model that's sort of like it's the, it's the same contradiction which is not overcome in what they often describe as like um Hilferding's model or like yeah the cartel uh, the sort of like yeah the, the yeah the 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 co- communism as a uh, a singular cartel state ownership <laughs> of all means of production kind of thing mm. um just to say about Kautsky as a bit of an aside kind of thing like early on early on in this book they are describing him as being somebody who falls into this trap of seeing communism as um sort of like transfer of goods and under communism as being something that's done in kind and without a unit of account and then they say that kautsky um uh interacts with or discovers or sees the um critique that's made of that form of production by uh the austrian school economists and people involved in the uh socialist calculation debate on the on the on the side of capitalism um and so he realizes that you have to, he needs some of the solution. And as you say, 
he's presented here as uh, sort of admitting, okay, you need a unit of account. And he toys with the idea of using labor time as the unit of account, but for various reasons decides it's not possible. Mm. As he's, because, as the book says, he's still too wedded to the idea that you have to have a central planning body kind of thing. Mm. And as you indicate, like the book's answer is that, no, you just leave it to the workers. They know best and they can do it. Mm. It's quite a simple model that they're presenting. It's not like beyond anybody's wit to sort of like work out how to apply these simple <laughs> add formulas three and add three numbers together kind of thing <laughs> and then pass it on to somebody else. Um, so I think what happens to Kautsky is that he falls back into the realm of like market socialism and mm. money rather than labor time credits. And he yeah, I thought that, that was all tra- interesting. trajectory and slippage back into yeah. uh, state I'd, capitalism, I suppose. I'd never heard of this Leichter fellow. Mm, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Leichter comes up quite a lot and I don't really know. He seems to be an ally of Kautsky's, but um, yeah, there are points in the book where they seem to be using his thinking and seem yeah. to give him ju- some justification. I think it's the same as Kautsky, right? Like, Kautsky and Lichter both sort of entertain this idea, but for various reasons modify it in different ways. I don't know what you came away. Yeah, I was just going to say pretty much that like they bring him up sometimes as like the answer to Kautsky. It's like he's definitely a lot closer to them in in his thinking. But then, yeah, it'll just fall back on this idea of like, you know, you either see in his thinking a like return to some sort of class society, whether it's, I don't remember if it was him or if it was Kautsky or if it was somebody else about like a differentiation in wages, which they were just like, come on, what are you talking about? You can't have that. And that's like a big thing is, you know, later on when they start to talk about like social work, work that's not productive that you still need to do. Like, how are you going to pay those people without making a new class? They answer it very well. And I guess we'll eventually get to that. But like, yeah, Leichter or whatever you say, it was definitely... They definitely come closer to agreeing with him than outright just being like, you fool. Mm-hmm. Like they do with, you know, either Lenin or, you know, <laughs> any anarchist. <laughs> I like to imagine it's pronounced Lichter, like the Tyranid. Like, uh, <laughs> but, anyway. My God. They're here already. <laughs> They've been here for hundreds of years. Um, mm. Yeah, I suppose we should also just before we move on, we should say that the basic um, equation that they're doing is extremely simple that these operational units would do because it's adding the labor time that goes into your uh, fixed means of production, which, you know, they basically use the examples of like the machines that you're using and the buildings that you're in and all the stuff that needs upkeep, adding that together with the variable capital, which is like the raw materials that you get, the labor time that's involved in that. Um, And then obviously you add the actual labor uh, that goes into making your product. And then those three numbers all add up to the number that you pass on yeah, uh, or that you basically just like give to the producers. Um, in their example, it's shoes. And so they're like, you know, your shoemaker, you add the labor time that's into the upkeep of your shoe machines and your shoe factory building with the leather and rubber and eyelets and stuff that you go into like, you know, making your shoes, the labor that goes into making those shoes, the actual people. And then you get this big number that you then basically divide by the number of shoes that you have. And that's, the quote-unquote price of the yeah. thing which is like yeah extremely simple mm-hmm. it's so funny because it's like yeah i don't know that's this whole book it's so simple it's like oh there you go yeah and the numbers they probably cherry-picked numbers to do this but also like i like to think that they did some research about what this would take but they arrive at a very reasonable yeah i one thought like shoes three, three and a bit hours of work <laughs> yeah. for a pair of shoes yeah fair play <laughs> I was like all right yeah that makes sense sure there'll probably be nice shoes too they'll probably be shoes made to last as well as just shitty shoes <laughs> mm. um, yes yeah yeah they do they 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 make they make the 
the observation that there is a type of accounting that happens under capitalism. Like firms do a certain amount of accounting. Yeah. Capitalists do a certain amount of accounting internal to their firms. And it's the same thing. Mm. Firms or operational units, as they describe them under communism, will do a certain amount of accounting for the economic ac- activity that happens internal to that uh, unit of production. Mm. And then... You, I suppose that number that you've just described is like supposing that supposing that it's not shoemakers, but like people who make a component of shoes. Like, mm. say you're a factory that makes laces. Right? You're going to say linen. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a factory that makes laces and you work out your number for how much, uh, how many hours are included in each lace, mm. presumably the the hours that is taken to produce each pair of laces goes into being is added into the the calculation that happens in the shoe factory that becomes part of the circulating capital yeah. number kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so it's just you're basically just passing on a rather rather than asking a price of rather than a supplier asking a price of the person that they supply something to all they do is offer a number for okay we're giving you 100 hours of labor worth of laces add that into your calculation mm. when you come to price your shoes and then when a shoe goes to, to I almost said the market. <laughs> oh no! When the shoe goes to the big shoe warehouse, um, <laughs> that we it, all it, it carries a price in labor hours of all of the labor that's gone into making the shoe, kind of thing. Yeah, it's just a transfer of information in the same way that capitalists account for the activity that happens in their firm. Mm. I was like sweating a bit when I could tell that they were about to give you a number. How funny would it be if they went through this whole thing of being like, this is the best way to do it. And they were like, and so one shoe will cost 625,000 hours of labor. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> Last Man, week I guess I'm going to be barefoot in communism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it is important to remember, like we said last week, that these are labor hours that go into things. This isn't the amount of time it takes to make one of these things in terms of like grow everything that you need. You're not sitting there timing like yeah, yeah, yeah. we did the p- pizza example. Yeah. You're not growing it. How long does it take to grow the coconuts that go into making your <laughs> vegan leather for your shoes? Yeah, exactly. Is that how they do it? Uh, I, I think that was a new product that appeared yeah. in the, in the, in the world. hellscape that is capitalist, <laughs> the capitalist market oh, a few God. weeks ago. A few months ago, a few years ago. I like so. to think that when everything is a lot more open and demystifying, people would probably be like, and they're, and everything's a lot more regionalized, our economies would probably be like, yeah, wearing don't the, think I need wearing to Wearing the skin of animals. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get over that. Don't, yeah. don't think I need to wear that skin, yeah. perhaps. Um, yeah, I think another, one thing that didn't get mentioned so far, perhaps won't get mentioned in the book, but that I was thinking about was like, a lot of this will require, um, not require, but it will facilitate a shrinking of the unnecessary parts of the economy. And I, that, oh my God, that's what excited me so much. It's like, <laughs> you work in, an, I think we both work in unnecessary parts of the economy. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> You're that's definitely the feeling that burden at the moment, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of like going through all of my jobs and trying to be like, which of these jobs were useful? And I settled on probably like 40 to 50% of my jobs have been, maybe been useful, maybe like 30 to 35% have been useful. Um, but just sh- shrinking the economy where you just don't need all this faff that capitalism has is just that's the most tantalizing thing for me just get rid of advertisements get rid of pr get rid of like (laughs) what i do (laughs) you know it's just like i don't know the shrinking of the economy is what's got me going Mm -hmm. it's just like what is necessary not Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. you know but again what you do get will be amazing it'll be fantastic it'll be like made to last i remember when we read um 
the Eden Medina book, the cybernetic revolutionaries, they had some pictures of uh, products that were designed. I forget the people who designed them, the Germans, I believe. And it was, they had a picture of the record player and it was just like, now that's a record player that's made to last. You know, I'm going to sound like a boomer here, but it's like nothing's <laughs> made to last anymore. Mm. And presumably if something sucks, then you get together with everybody and you're like, I have to deal with this factory. They're making some pretty bum shoes. You know what I mean? I'm worried I may have said something misleading. Oh, oh join the club. Mm, the permanent <laughs> worry of being a podcast. <laughs> um, I implied that the labor time that goes into making any particular shoe becomes the price of that shoe when it goes to oh, sure. be a product of consumption, mm. which is erroneous. <laughs> Um, what actually happens, and this is where we get to with there being a degree of centralized accounting going on. I don't know whether it's centralized planning, but like mm. you would have to have some kind of centralized accounting bureau. Oh, I suppose. No, in the book, they suggest that it's represented by like the shoe industry in general, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. A, you you encounter a physical shoe and what you what as opposed to like a, a, a metaphysical shoe or yeah. a, like a, a, a non-corporeal shoe or something I'm not, I'm not barefoot because I can't afford in labor hours to buy a shoe under communism they're actually like invisible. They're figurative yeah figurative shoes it's very dialectical you wouldn't understand yeah. um, oh <laughs> I turn shoes on their head and you know. oh god Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, as we as we were saying, like you have a shoe, and you would not pay if and with that's the right word to use. Under communism, you would not pay the amount of labor hours that have gone into making that specific shoe. Yeah, but all shoes in society would carry a cost, which is the social average amount of time that it takes to make a shoe. Yeah, so. All shoes in society would have the same price, regardless of whether, in, in actual fact, any particular shoe has more or less labor in it. Because what you do is average out the amount of time that's been spent, or the amount of hours that have been spent by society making shoes becomes the so the the total social labor in cobbling, I suppose. <laughs> cobbling together some shoes. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, it's a good point because that's how you get away, you get around the like, um, okay, these people are making shoes extremely slowly and that might not be their fault. They might just have some worn out means of production. Yeah. They might just have some people that are doing their best and we'll help them out and we'll replace everything for them and we'll get there. But it's a way of getting around that like, I think they call it like a, the poisonous snake, which is like, no, you have to make it socially average. It can't just be like yeah. that one factory. Because you can't, under communism, you don't want your producers to be competing with one another yeah and if it if there was some kind of social imperative to compete to bring down or to modify the amount of time that it took to make shoes then you would end up having to exploit or otherwise discipline labor mm. as a as a way to bring down the amount of labor time that it took to make shoes kind yeah of thing. absolutely no that's yeah that's a really important point i think um, now I suppose they'd have to. I don't know what I, I don't know whether they talked about it or not. Uh, maybe we'll get to it later. Like there's, uh, as it, uh, as is suggested in the book, I think like there will be like all shoe producers will be in communications with one another. So I think there will be some ways of moderating or mediating mm. 
shoe production like it towards it, a mean it, it will be known how long it takes every shoe factory to make shoes and if there was somebody diverting wildly from the mean you might have to be like what the hell is going on in this place kind of thing do that do they need i don't know what it is like do mm. they need better access to um do they need to better proximity is it because they're not as close to the people who produce the things that go into making that shoe so that they're having to account for much greater transportation costs in labor hours or is it do they have worn out machines or is it they just have a workforce which is less skilled or, or is it the opposite less able or is it they're doing really well how can yeah. we all figure how this can, out how can, the price of how can we all emulate this so that we can bring down the the amount of hours in work mm. that has to go into every shoe, mm. or we can actually reduce the number of social hours that has to go into shoemaking, mm. um, and either reduce distribute that labour or have those people work less. I suppose. Yeah. Say a shoe. What? Say a shoe. A shoe. Bless you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was trying to spit that in. Uh-huh. <laughs> I ins- a shoe entirely. <laughs> oh. Any any any. <laughs> Any um, God, one up me there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I eschew the implication that I should find that joke for me. <laughs> there we go, got there eventually. Yeah, yeah that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it also you bring up a really important point, which is the bookkeeping aspect of it. And it's so fascinating because it's like bookkeeping under capitalism, they say, yeah, it's like relatively passive, but you're also like, they kind of just say, like, the books are kind of just sitting there. They just kind of do their thing and they just sit there. It's like a snapshot of what's going on here. It's like, yes, you will be reporting all of this to like some sort of statistics geek um, who will collate all this information so that you're able to have like, maybe this... that can be Jack's job. <laughs> I'd be bad at it. It's addition, but I'd be bad at it. <laughs> Get some sabermetrics guy on it. Um, basically they say you report all these hours so that everybody knows in all of the productive sphere the total social labor that's going on basically for planning purposes but the statistics people the planning not the planning people the statistics people the like people adding all of this up that's just to have the books the bookkeeping explicitly it just sits there the books are just sitting there they are just books you just have these numbers uh for whatever you eventually will decide to do with them because if it was some sort of like centralized planning bureau, they make the point that it's like that would inevitably lead towards some kind of exploitation because it's like, or at least exploitation, but maybe it would be better to just say some sort of top-down decision-making. And this is very much a uh, bottom-up kind of socialism. Um, And so the bookkeeping, again, this kind of blew my mind when I read it. It's just to have those numbers and it's not for any kind of competition, anything like that. It's just so you... Because you do need to have this social total um, for reasons that we'll get into. Um, should we talk about this general social work, I guess? Because that's kind of why you need to have those numbers. Yeah. That, yeah, was, was, yeah. yeah. that was another big question I had, other than how do goods get transferred between productive spheres? It's like, okay, I don't work in a productive you know, job capacity. Um, let's say I did something useful. Um, how would that get, quote unquote, paid for? How would I get my, quote unquote, wage? Um, and it's really interesting the way that they kind of come up to say it. It took me a while to read it, to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. The yeah, general social yeah, yeah. work. Yeah, they do recognize that there are types of labor that don't produce um, a product that can bear uh, a representation of its its worth in terms of labor hours kind of thing. Mm. Um, most of these are services. Yeah. Like they talk about education and healthcare and mm-hmm. uh, people who contribute to uh, the p- 
production of culture and yeah. the like. And just things you'd decide on, right? Like, yeah, let's go to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there you go. We look at all this surplus we got. Let's go to the moon. Why not? We're not surplus. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, they, um, and it's funny, right? They very rapidly, because one solution to this pro- pro- problem would be, well, Whenever anybody buys a service, they would just pay that person in labor hours because that anybody mm. providing the service can still work out how many labor hours have gone into providing that service, kind of thing. They can work out how much work they put into it. They can work out how much work has gone into like the ancillary or the the the, the, the variable. Supposing that they've consumed some variable capital or something like, mm. you can still use the same accounting formula to work out how many labor hours have gone into that service, kind of thing. But um, it's impossible for the producer of that service to uh, relate to the economy in the same way as people who are producing a, a product, a physical product. Mm. And they basically just say it would be undesirable or impossible in some instances to have people just pay. Yeah. Um, but then, as you say, that would represent an di- introduction of a, a where well, you said before, I don't know whether it was this instance that you were referring to in particular, but it does kind of like sound like a introduction of a new class of person yeah absolutely you would have people who are uh, remunerated based on um their contribution to labor to society in general but then you would have this class of person who has a specific relationship to their labor not as a, a feature of the total social labor but like has a unique relationship to their own labor kind of thing and people would buy that service it would be very much like you'd be reintroducing sort of like features or tendencies of capitalism which this model is trying to assue kind of thing mm, mm, bless you <laughs> <laughs> so instead they try and work out well how are we going to remunerate these people obviously we know what work they've done or they can report in the same way that other industries report uh what labor they've done or basically what they did what they suggest is these industries would budget for themselves a certain quantity of labor hours either in things that they consume to be able to provide their service or in their own labor hours. And they would have to then put that budget to society Mm. and be like, are you going to, will you give us a certain quantity of social labor to be able to achieve these ends kind of thing? Yeah. Um, And then they go through a whole series of different ways in which uh, that budget would be drawn up, I Mm. suppose. Um, And the basically the two, the two, uh, options that they settle on is either you manipulate the prices of things so that uh, a central body can take from society a certain quantity of labor hours in the form of basically it's like a value-added tax almost yeah and then redistribute that back Mm. or you can actually manipulate people's pay so that i think the example that they use is like somebody works a 40-hour week but actually they're only remunerated 32 mm. hours worth of social labor because those are the eight social those are the eight hours of social labor go toward funding these other services which they obviously draw from and benefit from kind of thing yeah um and yeah and, so it's kind of like a tax and other it's things. like an income tax rather than a, a value-added tax in a lot of ways it's important to say not just that though as well because it isn't just general social work that's getting taken out of that it's also like replacement of means of production sure yeah yeah, yeah that yeah that was it yeah do you want to do you want to elaborate on that a bit because you did explain this to me before yeah. we started recording and it was it's helpful for me i didn't really yeah well just thought about it in that way yeah just briefly to just say that like they use the example of okay how are we going to pill these people they say if you imagine that everybody makes everything in society and they just put it in a big ass warehouse right 
they use the metaphor of, okay, well, first, before you just get to choose what you want to take, you need to worry about these people like what you're saying, the general social work. I, you know, that budget gets taken away of everything that gets made, which is a certain percentage, whatever that would be of the budget that would eventually go down as we proceed towards higher communism. But then something else that also has to get taken away, which is quite a bit smaller, is the replacement of means of production. So that's like when they do the example of the basic uh, uh, formula of how you calculate uh, labor hours that go into a product, it's, you know, uh, fixed capital plus variable capital plus labor equals your product. That's the first thing. That's the fixed capital, basically. And it isn't that, you know, you have to calculate the percentage of, like, help that this machine that's made this thing has gone into making this product. It isn't that. It's just that, like, it's upkeep. And it's basically like, okay, in this production cycle, we screwed up. The machine broke. We had to get a new one. So that gets added onto the product. So that is, like, society also as We can think of it as, like, a communist tax, uh, I've heard people say, um... The tax goes towards this general social work, but it also goes towards replacing means of production. And you can think about that again as like a type of metabolic rift. It's necessary to happen and it's not huge. And in this book, they basically make the point that it's like that would be much lower than variable capital would be. But um, yeah, it's necessary. Replacement of means of production is something that gets taken out. So again, it's this rift of... We came across this last week when we talked about the Gotha program where they were basically saying our goal is to give you exactly what you put in society. And Marx was like, no, because there are these deductions that would need to happen. It's these two things. It's the general social work and it's replacement of means of production, basically. Because you don't have to worry about very old capital in that. So, yeah. Mm. Very nice. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the two big questions I had, I think, going into this. And I still have a couple more questions. Hopefully they'll get answered later in the book. I mean, again, the pacing of this book is very good at answering your questions. Um, but yeah, my two big questions were like, okay, how do goods get transferred in the productive sphere and how do non-productive sphere people maintain themselves? Um, and yeah, it's really interesting. Assuming that any of the numbers that they use are anywhere close to being correct, it is awesome <laughs> because mm. it's like they, what do they call it? The payout factor or something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the kind of like payout factor. Yeah, I don't know whether that's the degree to which the degree which is deducted from people's um Mm. quota of social uh, of labor hours which goes toward their consumption or whether it's the degree that's deducted whether mm. it's the pay or whether it's the deduction which is the the yeah production factor or what have you but. yeah yeah well regardless the number i'm trying to find out the number that they settle on um they basically say that all workers together work 650 million hours that's 600 million in productive operational units and 50 million in public ones but there's only so that leaves only 542 million working hours left for consumption. So everybody gets uh, 542 divided by the total, which is 650. And so that leaves you 0.83. And so that's basically like for every hour you get you work, you get remunerated 0.83 of a working hour, mm -hmm. which still sounds pretty good. And again, if you, you know, make the point that it's like all of your work is going into making things better. Yeah. And not like crap it amounts and to you, a tax but a good one and <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't have a boss taking most yeah. of what is what yeah. you contribute in your labor to the value of something like, exactly you you benefit from or you <laughs> society benefits and by virtue of the fact that you're going to get an equal share of what society has you benefit from they're not being an exploiting class which yeah. takes the bulk of uh social values kind of thing yeah aside from the fact that like the economic model is not minded toward 
exchange values, but is actually mining toward the production of useful things. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Mining. What a shocker. What a <laughs> yeah, as an extension of that, I suppose maybe it's quickly worth mentioning, they dis- un- unsurprisingly, they align themselves with Marx once again. <laughs> uh, when he says in the critique of the Gotha program that um, the... the um, the well it's actually actually i suppose it's a different thing which he is saying you know when he says that the the amount of the what you deduct from the the total social stock of labor hours the amount that goes toward administration stuff shrinks and what mark suggests is Mm -hmm. over time the amount that goes toward um services and products which are free at the point of consumption grows in this book they're suggesting for something very similar that over time the general so the quantity of labor hours going toward the general social work general social work what do they call it yeah general social, social work, work, I think, work yeah. would grow by which i mean the proportion of the economy which when you as an individual interact with it functions as um takers need rather than uh takers you're able to pay kind of thing mm. grows and they suggest that this is a, would be a natural feature of the way a communist economy would expand kind of thing. So their suggestion is that they've built into their model, they've built into the fundamental principles of their uh, communist system, a natural tendency for the movement from, from each according to their ability to pay, based on mm. their ability to contribute, to from each according to their need. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah, absolutely. And that, again, amounts to... What has a much more specific, I realize has a much more specific meaning now, the withering away of the quote-unquote state. Yeah. Because that's basically the same thing. It's like all of this administrative stuff. It's built into the system that it will eventually wither away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we develop, Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, was it in this or did I hallucinate it where they said that they they were like, and we actually didn't know about Marx's critique of the Gotha yeah, program. Yeah, they said they hadn't read the critique <laughs> of the Gotha program until they'd written. And then they, yeah, I suppose they must be referring to the first edition, right? Like yeah. when they wrote the first edition in, or whoever it was, he wrote the first mm. edition in, in the early 30s, they hadn't seen, hadn't read the critique of the Gotha program. It was only by the mid 30s that they became aware of it. I mean, and just this... discovered that Marx basically said everything that they said. Kind of. Thing. I mean, it's a yeah, real, that's like, it's a real mm, boast. Kind yeah, of thing, I know. It? It's like, <laughs> mm, did you? Yeah. It's also like there are points in this where the like I'm pretty sure they've quoted at least one paragraph in the critique of the Gotha program like three separate times. Sure. And it's yeah, like, but I mean, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But this is the second edition. <laughs> sure, of the yeah, sure. Yeah. But it's also it's like. But they only they drop mm-hmm. it in halfway through the book. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh yeah. By the way, when we say like the the, the Marxist model, yeah. we didn't actually realize that this was Marxist <laughs> model. When we suggested it was the Marxist model, we were just elaborating on trends <laughs> in Marx. We hadn't actually read Marx's declarative statement on it, yeah. i.e., the critique of the Gotha program. Yeah, it's like all right, guys. Jeez, yeah. flex, <laughs> God. Um, also, I think maybe worth just saying off the back of what you were talking about, like. We were, we were talking right before this about the like how this would actually affect your day-to-day life. And I think when we talk about this tax where it's like, okay, I'm not getting exactly what I put in. I think day one, let's just say that you were able to implement this all, all over the world immediately. Day one, you would go, wow, I'm able to get a lot more stuff than yeah. I would with my wage. Yeah, You'd be yeah, like, holy yeah. crap. Yeah. And the stuff that I'm getting is a lot better. Yeah. I think that, yeah, immediately that would just be like, whoa, hit yeah. you in the face. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, my, my I, I, made, worth I made I made more and more of a communist every time I have to take a train in this country. Because every time I have to take this train in this country, I'm like, why the fuck is this not free? Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> not free. And down here, I, it's so, so expensive. fucking expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a joke. It's like the 
buses. The buses are insane. It can cost you like almost three pounds to go a mile. It's mm-hmm. like, what mm-hmm. is going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something I wanted to bring up, actually, that we just overlooked a little bit, in that the reason why they settle on this um, a deduction in people's quote-unquote pay mm-hmm. rather than a tax added on or a manipulation of prices is that they don't really want to manipulate prices because if you manipulate prices, what you're doing is um, blurring or obscuring the information that's available to consumers and producers to know actually what's happening in the economy kind of thing. Mm. Um, why did I come onto this? I don't know. Because it's, just, it's, because it's quite... Because it's quite yeah, the, yeah, fundamental to their model is that Everybody is clear and everybody knows what is happening kind of thing. Mm. So when you when you take a product from the social stock, you know exactly how much social labor has gone into it and you know um, what you're paying for it is directly equal to that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be empowering. Yeah. To be oh, like- no, that's, yeah. So exactly. That's why I brought it up kind of yeah. thing. Like you were saying, what would this feel like kind of thing? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it removes a huge layer of mystification that we don't even know we're experiencing most yeah. of the time kind of thing. Um, to actually be able I mean, to realize what your labor is like worth. Like it's, it's living in a world without commodity fetishism. Exactly. Yeah. To be able to realize what your labor is worth would be like, you'd be like, whoa, why didn't I get this sooner? <laughs> like, <laughs> I had, wow, my labor is worth a lot yeah, more yeah, than yeah, I'm told. Yeah. yeah. And this is another point. It's worth bringing up something that we've kind of overlooked. There's, there's a point in this book where they... They're they're siding against Kautsky and Lichter again. Uh, (laughs) Kautsky and Lichter, basically in the book, they suggest based on Kautsky and Lichter's class position, Mm. think that um, people are going to have to be paid different wages based on the type of work that they do. Whereas in this book, the group of international communists are like, no, absolutely not. Everybody (laughs) should be paid exactly the same wage. And if you, I, I mean, the the example that Kowski gives, which is a more compelling one, I suppose, in some cases, is that there might be types of work that are less desirable to do than others, and you might need to feel like you need to had to incentivize work to mm. people to do those other things. I mean, we could give it, we could come up with some other uh, options for that kind of thing. Like but the that's real, still there. the really undesirable stuff could just be divided equally amongst people, so everybody has to do a very small amount of things which are socially agreed upon to be undesirable. Or what you could do is direct your production toward making those jobs unnecessary. Um, I think it would be both of those, but it's also like you still need to work. It's sure. still the same thing. Not everybody can make shoes. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like that question is kind yeah, of yeah, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, but then it, I suppose it does come back to this thing in Marx about like um, equality not being the aim kind of thing. Yeah. They're much more. In- I mean, there is a point in this where they sort of side on the side of like uh, the economic model and therefore the, the freedom in imbuing benefits of the economic model as mm. against justice there's a point in which they're saying like we will we are willing to accept to begin with an unjust uh re- way of remunerating we're willing to accept any injustices that, or any perceived injustices that come about from paying everybody exactly the same amount i think in this instance they're talking about like Say you say you have far more dependents that pe- children that you have to support on your wage kind of thing mm. or I don't know. People have other living costs or not. Yeah. So sure. there is this there is this personal um, un- perceivable unfairness in people's individual thing, individual cut of the the social product that they get. But they seem to say that what we want is we want to, we're willing to accept that if we we'd much rather have a degree of what we were describing at the beginning, this kind of like 
social equality kind of thing. Mm. We'll take the system which fosters sort of freedom and will accept a certain amount of inequity as a result of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Presumably that another... again would go down as time goes on. Yeah, one would hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I suppose you could have other ways of remunerating that, right? Like you could have part of your uh, general social work a certain amount that goes to what would be the equivalent in this country you'd call like child benefit or something like a certain yeah. number of labor hours that could be given to people based we could just be, yeah be given to the parents of children kind of thing you could just do it for every child right you could just be yeah. like here have a few labor hours to support this <laughs> child all children get this certain all parents get yeah. a certain amount based on how many children they have kind of or thing kids could work yeah all uh, there we go yeah 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 <laughs> i mean yeah all, all the group of international communists outside as they always do with marx and decide that child labor is good yeah there we go yeah, as we have already exactly. done exactly i'm yeah. still trying to figure out what marx meant when he said it's impossible to have a developed society without child labor i'm still trying to figure that one out I'm sure there's something to it, but I'm like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this what is this? But uh, the uh, the uh, mistaking thinking of someone who lived in the yeah, 19th exactly. century. Yeah. Or, yeah. Someone's got to be small enough to get in those machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I yeah. Another. You bring up an interesting point, which is like this labor that's seen as like you know even whether it's really physical labor or like that somebody's got to clean up the poop pipe or like whatever it's like how how do you not foster some kind of class mentality in the people who just sit around not sit around but be like professors versus who sit around versus like you know someone who works in a warehouse you know what i mean like maybe the maybe it would just be a certain like social like really you're not gonna like a little bit of peer pressure like come on do your part you mm -hmm. know what i mean mm -hmm. or like you would just kind of accept because that quote-unquote wage is the same all across the board you're not going to be able to show like one guy's not gonna be driving an audi and the other guy's driving like a Saab or something like yeah. That. yeah 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 i mean i suppose after a certain period of time there would be no yeah as you say there would be no like social benefit mm. there would be no material benefit that comes from having a role like that kind of thing. Mm. I mean, I suppose there might be social prestige attached to certain just things. Just a physical benefit. Yeah. Just laying around. Yeah, yeah. Not, like, I keep oh, saying <laughs> that that's what professors do, but like physical labor versus non-physical labor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, the toll it would take. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. But again, as the pro 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 productive apparatus. Well, this, yeah, this is, this is what's like. This is, but this basic, in the critique of the Gotha program, this is the mm. basis, the basic foundation for higher stage communism as it's presented by marx is just a massive revolution in the means of production yeah i like the cuban model <laughs> everybody's got to do some work everybody's uh -huh. got to do some crappy work i don't know um yeah maybe that can just be something where you just kind of go yeah because there is no material benefit really is there unless it's like wow this guy's using his labor tokens to buy a lot of like uh, uh, corduroy jackets <laughs> with elbow pads for some reason, um, or um, or uh, Karl Marx compendiums, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Collected works, <laughs> um, yeah. But the, the the but the basic starting point of that would be to recognize everybody's labor as being equal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Let's just do it. Let's just make <laughs> this stuff happen. That's what I say. Um. This book rocks, man. Yeah. Every time we talk about it, I just get it's I get excited because it is exactly what they're saying. It's a positive addition to socialism and communism. It's not just a negation of capitalism. It's actually adding something new which you can get excited about. Mm -hmm. It's like what they're trying to do with 
um, I almost said Fark, <laughs> Falk, but actually like putting a reason to like, here's why you would be more excited about a communist society yeah. than simply not being treated like shit at work. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Positive. And it's such a, like, um, I mean, compared to like full automation, it's such mm. a like human centered yeah. thing, right? Like, yeah. 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 We love humans. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Human beings make and, well, I was going to say, maybe this is contentious. Human beings make and remake the mode of production kind of thing. Like, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And we're, we're, we're in a position to radically remake the mode of production. Yeah. Yeah, and we absolutely. don't need to wait around for the technology of communism to mm. be bestowed upon us by mm. um, someone from top, someone from California. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, fire season started apparently early. Yeah, it's what June. So we got that going for us. That's nice. <laughs> got another ten months of that to look forward yeah, to. I know. No kidding. It's just like, oh my god. Um, yeah, how will our planned society uh, fix that? Presumably not by just polluting and not by doing things that are uh, profitable. Yeah. But crappy. I yeah. do get the feeling well, that what, so so it's so it's 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 global warming. Is it also like poor water management? It's, it it's like... PG&E too mainly. Like these big fires that have been started. I don't know what the oh, yeah, situation is now. This. Yeah, go on. But yeah, it's yeah. just that like there I don't really at least in the past when the big fire happened around uh, where I live, it was like it, it, so many times these fires start because PG&E has a private monopoly mm. on supplying parts. This is a utility provider, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Pacific Gas and Electric providing power. And they just have the crappiest infrastructure. So, like, a transformer will blow and it'll burn down, like, a million acres yeah. and kill, like, a thousand people. Yeah. It's just, like, cool, awesome. Just because mm. it's, I guess, just because it's profitable to not replace your goddamn means of production. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a sort of, like... There is an analogous and also entirely opposite problem in this country with the water companies. My understanding is that, like, a grotesque amount of water is lost through, like, leaky yeah. pipes in this country. Like, it's just ridiculous. And then we, there we are paying through the nose for, for water. Yeah. In, in our communist society, there will be one long tube that goes from England to California <laughs> to end that yeah, metabolic yeah. rift. All the leaky pipes will be built in... Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just saturate the ground. Pollute as much as you want. Just saturate the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hmm. Okay. 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 Well, the capitalists need to stop lighting, lighting California on fire. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> please. I remember there was like a big conspiracy theory during COVID where all of a sudden, like in, in America, I don't know how it was here, but like nobody had masks and the government was actively being like, just don't wear a mask. It'll a actually make things worse if you do wear a mask to cover up for the fact that we didn't have the productive capacity to give everybody <laughs> masks. And there was a big conspiracy theory because like everybody who worked at the Facebook campus had masks and like really good masks immediately. And everyone was like, whoa, Facebook must have designed this virus so that, and, and you know, they just knew that it was coming. And it was like, no, they just had those masks from the last wildfire. <laughs> so right. it's <laughs> like yeah there's a simple explanation um all right folks well dan and i are going to attempt to next time we talk about this book to finish it i think it's doable i think it's doable yeah, yeah. so that'll be chapters 12 through 17 um i love a final chapter that's called final considerations we'll just tie it all up in a neat bow hmm. um yeah there's hmm. a chapter on the dictatorship of the proletariat yeah hopefully that'll answer it's, some questions uh, too. i think this sec the uh, new section is going to start by um, telling us again how stupid the Bolsheviks were. 
So there's lots Markets. of good things to look forward to. Yeah, I, it doesn't seem like there's going to be much about the democratic structures that would have to be organized to like facilitate getting what you want out of production. Yeah. Um, but that's why we have our boy Stanford beer. Yes. Perhaps. That's why we have cybernetics. Yeah, I was speculating beforehand that perhaps like that is something that falls outside of the the fundamental principles yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they are council communists, right? Like, <laughs> And they do make reference to the councils quite a lot. So I would imagine there are going to be very different types of council in different guises and different forms that oversee certain types of things. Mm. Um, but I think that might be a political situation yeah. which is outside of the scope of this book but will facilitate mm. uh, the running of this kind of society, I suppose. It's funny when they were like libertarian communists have no theory beyond all power to the councils or all powers to the workers. I was like, wait a minute, I thought that's what council <laughs> We're so confused right now. <laughs> These people are like omega councilists. They're yeah. like big brain, like the meme of like council communists, council communists, group of international communists, like the brain getting bigger. Yeah, like yeah, yeah like syndicalists. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. anarchist, anarchist syndicalists. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, have you seen the meme where it's like the iceberg and it's like when you get into something, it's like, I don't know, when you get into like music and it's like top of the iceberg Beatles and then bottom is like some esoteric, like, you know, yeah. black midi yeah, thing yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. I wonder where this falls on like communism. When you get to, when you like, where are you <laughs> where at the as point? you go under, the, under yeah. the surface, where in the iceberg do you reach this book? Do you read this book? Yeah. Yeah. Because there is like a niche of people online that are like, Nobody else has talked about this book. I can finally come out and talk about this book. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I wonder whether those people feel sad that now this has gotten a... a, a yeah. pub, it's been, I mean, I don't know how widely read it is, but it's widely available and published. Mm. Clearly, it's rising up. It's becoming less like <laughs> the... the, the, the the, the, the Rosetta, not the Rosetta Stone, but like the the yeah. lost text yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't impress people by being like, mm, "Well, have you read the fundamental principles of communist production and distribution?" Hmm. Well, I think there's a period of time where you w one person might have tried to impress somebody with that idea <laughs> and then failed, and I think maybe we're out, we're entering the period of time. I hope where you can actually impress people by having read this book, yeah. and then hopefully it'll become so widely read that oh yeah, fuck off, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right. Me and my council that I'm part of. Yeah. You know, my <laughs> exactly. Uber council. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait 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 till um wait till the the, the DSA reading group to read this <laughs> oh, no. book. <laughs> oh no. I mean, oh yeah, cool. That'd be great. Um I heard something about Trotskyists trying to take over DSA. I was like, You still yeah. have Trotskyists? That's like Trotskyists being Trotskyists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had no idea that we still had Trotskyists. I'd like to find a Trotskyist and ask them to tell me what a Trotskyist is. Yeah. Because it's like, if they'll just permit revolution. It's like, all right, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I think there are as many types of Trotskyists as there are Trotskyists. It's even worse than Marxism in general. <laughs> That's the bottom of the iceberg. One specific sect of Trotsky. Yeah. Like, we have to find yeah, what that reading, is. Yeah, reading, reading a particular pamphlet from a particular year yeah. of a now defunct sort of Trotskyist. <laughs> it was like, it was like, a, it was a pamphlet that was designed to propagate a split that never actually happened. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah they're getting in front of the split. Yeah. <laughs> did you tell, did you tell the story on the show about at the, um, Palestinian solidarity protest, but the like very nice socialist that came up to you, and you're like, <laughs> I didn't know, no, no, no. I, yeah, I, I was, I was quite disappointed by the interaction because, like, 
She wanted. To, she gave me her leaflet. I don't know. I wish. I, I think I chucked it away. It, it was some. It was some Trotskyist group, right? They were. It was some some iteration of Socialist Party. So I was like, so I sort of just. I was. I was just like. I was like soft. I was. I don't know. Maybe she realised I was kind of trolling her a little bit, but I also did kind of want to have an. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I was very ungenuine. You wanted to know. I was ungenuine in my efforts to have a genuine conversation with her, and it showed. And she was like, "Well, fuck, I'm just going to get away from this person as quickly as possible." So I sort of just started rattling off my i don't never heard of this socialist party but i mean i know about this socialist party of england and wales and i, I know about the the socialist party of great britain and she was like, oh no we're not the socialist party of great britain and uh she, she must have realized this person clearly knows more than yeah more than, this more person than, knows his sex yeah <laughs> Oh my god! And, and and I can't and I know, but what she did, like she she clearly realized. Okay, this person knows, and then immediately told me who it was that she'd split from and why. <laughs> When I, when I tell that story, I, I tell it as you just asking her directly, where did you split? Who did from? you split? From? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was good. But then I, and then she didn't tell me why they'd split, or she didn't seem seem not to want have any more. Do people even know why they've split? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember why she where they were where they were coming from yeah. or where they were going. I don't know where they went now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'd like to form a sect one day. Yeah. yeah. I'll be in your sack, Jack. Oh, good. And then we can split. All right. <laughs> oh, shit. No, we can't ever join. Yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> if we ever join a sack together, we're almost <laughs> obliged to split. And that'll exactly. be the end of the podcast. So. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Rival podcast. We should read some Trotsky one day. Yeah. All right. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I started reading some Trotsky in the lockdown last year. And yeah, yeah. It was, he's a good writer and I found it very compelling. Yeah. I mean, the stuff I was enjoying most was some like diaries that he, that, that, that I was reading from like um, when he was in Siberia before, even before, like in the early 1900s, in the early 20th century, even before 1905. Like, See, I want to like know, I want to know about Trotsky as like general Trotsky, as when people were like, Napoleon Trotsky, is that mm-hmm. what's going to happen? I kind of want to know about, because you get it, like when he was just in Ukraine, like joining different groups and like hanging out and being the like wild haired, like socialism guys, you kind of get the feeling that he was a bit of a nerd. And then it's like, I don't know much about him. And then all of a sudden he's a general. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa. Okay. What happened there? Yeah. I don't know a little bit about that. I wonder yeah, about yeah, General yeah. Trotsky. Yeah. 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 And I'm sort of into the idea of permanent revolution. So mm. as opposed to this sort of, I mean, in the context of when it was proposed, I understand it as being something that was being opposed or counterposed to this idea of like rigid stagism. Yeah. Not this isn't stagism in terms of like there being stages to the transition to communism. This is like, yeah. First you have your bourgeois revolution and then you have your, and then like history unfolds in a dialectical way and it's be it, but for like yeah far be it for mortal men to contend yeah. with Ugh. attempting to oppose the dialectical unfolding of history did any of these people read Marx? <laughs> i'm beginning to think it's like guys come yeah. on it's like this is just so far away from the yeah. question we yeah should be it's marx angles and then the group of international communists <laughs> exactly. like, that's it maybe rosa luxembourg in there uh-huh. for a little yeah bit. it would be a bit fair okay yeah. Yeah. yeah again we should read some rosa luxembourg um all right plenty to read okay yeah. Have we have we produced enough content that we can I think stop? We've produced enough content. I'm going to give the listeners a peek behind the curtain and say that we'll actually be recording two episodes this week, which oh. is pretty fun. We got to get ahead of it because mm. um, life keeps getting in the mm. way. I'm going to go on a holiday. Dad's going on holiday. Yep. Look at that. I'm going to yeah. go to Wales. Yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah I'm excited. Gonna I'm going to go swimming in the sea. Hopefully, the weather lasts. Yeah, I'm going to go on walks. I'm going to go and see my parents. Yeah. Going to spend six hours on a train. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it'll be beautiful though. I'm, yeah, I want to go to Wales. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. I also, let's apologize. Capital, we will be getting back to it. Yeah, Life does keep days. getting in the way. Yeah. Things keep happening. We'll get to it. It's mm-hmm. just a bit of a faff at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Work, folks. Yeah, not great. And we're also reading a book right now. Okay, we're giving we're reading all books, exactly so. book. Yeah. Oh, and trying to read other things. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm not going to say what I was about to say about what we will potentially be reading in a few weeks. Very soon. Yes. Uh-huh. Very uh-huh. exciting. Uh-huh. Um. All right. Is yeah. it a new mystery book or is it a former mystery <laughs> book? It, yeah. Who can say? Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to tease it, but I was like, I already did that. So. <laughs> it's all teased out. Nobody we'll be, cares. Yeah, the third eye will be opening slightly larger. It won't be opening completely until we get to part three. Yeah, I don't think I can handle that. So, like, <laughs> yeah, you will. Ease me in, Jack. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll slightly open the third eye uh, soon. A lot going on. We got to finish this book. Uh, we got to get to that. Um, we've got stuff planned is what I'm saying yeah and, uh, yeah we're almost getting to the point now where we actually have some idea where we're going <laughs> yeah, we have exactly. a few episodes planned out we have some idea of what we might like to read we're not yeah. making it up two days before we yeah. need to record the damn thing and so. also folks let us know what you yeah. like us to read that actually be pretty cool because a lot of you seem very cool I mean obviously it's like why would you be listening to something unless you're interested in it so we must have some sort of overlap mm-hmm. and interest mm-hmm. but folks and because you're out. interested in what we have to say yeah. by virtue of the fact you are cool <laughs> yes exactly I bestow upon you the title of <laughs> cool I mean who knows uh, this is when we lose all our listeners <laughs> exactly we should have said this up front but hey what are you going to do yeah. Um, yeah. let us know if you're still listening yeah yeah, yeah. Like comment at this point on SoundCloud, (laughs) like timestamp it and comment at this point, and tell us what we should read, and tell us why podcasters do not belong to the general social world. (laughs) Exiled. Yeah, will there be professional (laughs) communist podcasters? Will there be professional podcasters under communism? I mean, then we would just really drag out episodes because it's like, well, that was actually two hours of social labor, so. Please. Oh, yeah, I definitely did like 10 hours of reading for the <laughs> podcast this week. <laughs> he said he did 10 hours of podcasting, but his episode was 10 minutes. <laughs> Interesting. I did it a lot. Yeah. yeah. We will solely. It was all editing time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We will have Gulag solely for podcasters and podcaster yeah. affiliates yeah. in this communist society. All right. Uh, let's end it. Um, my name has been Jack, and um, I'll let you introduce yourself and the third person. And then the show. <laughs> My name has been Dan. I'm also um, sat above a very warm cat. I have a very long haired cat. And I don't know whether we've mentioned, but it's pretty warm at the moment. Yeah, folks. Um, and she is suffering somewhat. <laughs> but she's all right. She looks pretty comfortable. She's rolling about on her back. Yeah. It's been a while since she'd recorded with us. Yeah, we it? haven't had a cat in the room in a while. Mm. Mm. She suddenly realized that we're talking about her. Yeah, we're both looking at her. Could you make it more obvious? Oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Okay, so right. I've been Dan, Meowgrip's been Meowgrip. Jack's this been, been Jack. Auxiliary statements. Yes, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. The music you heard this episode was Music to Kill Bad People To by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. If you like this song, you can check it out and much, much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. Be sure and follow us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, be sure and tune in next week for some more commie discussion. Till next time. Whoa.